So yesterday was Valentine's Day, and uh, so I'm going to think it's I'm going to I'm going to take the opportunity to ask. I think it's only reasonable. How many people are in love? Go ahead and raise your hand. Awesome. I knew we had a big crowd of that. So let's take a moment and think about that person that you love. I wasn't sure Melanie would appreciate if I put a giant picture of her up on the screen, so I went with one of our wedding pictures. I had a little more hair then. So think about you and your beloved, and think about how you write to each other or, or how you used to write to each other. Uh, I want to pick on Frank. He's in the splash zone. I'm guessing when you and Terry were dating, you, you probably were writing. Did you write some letters back and forth? All right, all right, good. Melanie and I were a slightly different generation. We, we actually sent emails largely when we were, were dating. Now, uh, <laughs> some implications I'm going to leave to the audience. Uh, yeah, so we wrote emails. Now, they didn't have a, a web back when we were first dating. The Internet was there, but we were on Unix servers for the university. For kids, they're like, how can you separate the web and the Internet? Well, guess what? It was separate. Uh, I'm guessing younger generation, you probably text each other. I'm not a big texter, but, but I'm pretty sure that's the answer. So, so let me ask you, Frank, if you get an email while you're here working hard, you get an email from Terry, says, Frank, can you pick up some bacon on the way home? What are you going to do? Are you going to spend some time thinking about, like, I wonder what program she used on the computer. What, would you see that in Gmail? Was that from the smartphone? Are you going to do that? You're going to think about that. You're not going to think about bacon. Now, are you going to get the bacon, too, or are you just going to think about the tool she used to make the bacon, to, to make the request? Just the bacon. All right, so you are, you are going to get the bacon. It may not be the most exciting request you ever get, although bacon's a pretty exciting request. I know Frank. But, you know, the point is he's going to do it. We're going to do it because he loves Terry, he loves bacon, and his life is better if he does what she asks, right? Paul, you're in the splash zone. So you're, you're hard at work. You get a text from Chrissy. I got a sitter. Meet me at our favorite restaurant for dinner. What are you going to do? I know. I'm just making a suggestion. Just... Absolutely, you're going to race out of work. You're not going to think like, did you check out the grammar in that? And her, she has the best abbreviations when she texts. No, you're going to get excited and you're going to run out, right? And now Melanie and I, when we, when we have important stuff, we actually do it still by email because uh, we, we often don't path, cross paths to remember to talk about important stuff, particularly if it's stuff we don't want to talk about in front of the kids. And so after a few days of planning to talk about it and forgetting to talk about it, we'll send emails. And those we actually read carefully and we do it. And, and the point is, why? Because we're in love and because it makes sense to pay attention to what the person we love is saying to us. And so we all know what we do when we get a letter from the person we love. We know what we do. We take it seriously. We get, to, we get down to business. So I'm going to ask to you today, do you love God? Now that's a, I'm not going to say that. That can be a hard question for some folks. Some people may not be feeling like really, they may be a maybe. And there may even be people here who are, who are no, and that's okay because you are in the right place if that's your condition. But I would say most people here are a yes, right? And so the point, though, is that regardless of whether we're a yes or whether we're a no or whether we're a maybe to answer that question, God loves us a lot. And he has written a series of love letters to us 
which is conveniently packaged in this if you're a, a dead tree kind of person, or it's available as an ebook if you're more of the, the new generation. And so I would ask, how do you respond to these love letters? Do we get as excited for these love letters as we do for an email from the person we, we love in this world the most? Do we read them and do we reread them? Do we leap to act on them? Or do we say, eh, that's pretty good, or kind of ignore them or, or you know, analyze them endlessly and maybe talk about them with our friends but not actually get down to the business of what's being asked in there? I think that we would agree there's only one appropriate response to God's love letters, and that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at it a little bit more next week as we have sort of a mini-series on the book of James. And I'm going to talk about James a couple of times next month as well. And James is a great little book. And you might remember, I really like the short books of the Bible. And James, amongst other things, really helps us get down to the question of the quality and depth of our faith. Is there real meat to it? Is there real substance to it? How do we evaluate our faith? Now, before I jump into the passage, I do need to briefly acknowledge that that the love letter analogy is borrowed from Soren Kierkegaard, who does a much better job with it than I do. Uh, And I would also acknowledge that I was such a dope, I wrote this a couple weeks ago and didn't even realize it was Valentine's Day. (laughs) I realized it on Friday. I was like, wow, I'm doing this whole love letter thing. It's the day after Valentine's Day. So God works far more effectively than I do. So today we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. So if you would, you can look at it on the screen, you can look at it on your device, you can turn with me in your Bible, whatever makes you happy. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, before we dig deeper into the the details of this passage, we can see that at a very high level, James is drawing a contrast between two possible responses we can have to the good news of Jesus Christ. We can be people who only hear it, or we can be people who hear it and respond in faith by doing what it says. Now, the literal Greek in verse 25 draws a very strong contrast between these two kinds of people. And his exact words are forgetful hearer and work doer. So it's a little bit maybe more direct than we see here. So it's very clear. And with language like that, you can't be both. And you can't be in the middle somewhere. You either hear or you hear and you do. Now we have to remember that James is acutely aware of the difference between intellectual knowledge of something and truly accepting it and letting it change your life. After all, James had to have had intellectual knowledge growing up that his perfect 
goody-two-shoes, know-it-all older brother, who mom probably liked best, was a pretty unique and special person. But he didn't do anything about it. He didn't follow him around. He didn't let it change his life. He didn't accept who his brother really was until that same perfect older brother went and got himself killed, came back to life, and visited him. And that's the difference between intellectual knowledge of something and a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. So James is very focused on making sure we're not just forgetful hearers of the word, but are people who, who do work because of that word. And what's the difference? Well, it's kind of like the difference between being in school, where you learn lots of different things to prepare you for a career, and actually getting that first job and, and putting those skills and knowledge to the test and, and, and putting them to work and growing and developing and doing things of great significance. And there's nothing wrong with being in school in the right season of your life and learning and preparing. But eventually, as any parent of a college student can attest, you can't stay in school forever. You've got to get out and do. And the same is true for us. We cannot stay in school forever. We have to get to work as believers. Now, we're going to start at the, at the end of this passage and, uh, and ask, well, why on earth would we ever want to be a doer of the word? It's a lot more work. It's a lot harder and potentially a bit more dangerous than just sitting back and, and taking it all in Sunday after Sunday. Well, one key reason to write in verse 25. An active work doer will be blessed in his or her doing. So, let me ask. Who wants a blessing? Anybody? I'm in favor of it. It's okay if you say no. Just, there's no I'm, not, I'm not judging. But, but, if you, it, but that's great if, for those who do. And realize that blessings come in all shapes and sizes, and that's a topic for a different day. For some, it's the blessing of, of bringing another person to faith in Christ. For some, it's, it's helping a, a child grow in his or her faith. Uh, for some, it's, it's saving a starving child in a village far away, or, or providing clean drinking water for those who don't have it. For others, it looks like the opportunity to be like Peter and Paul, to be beaten, tortured, and killed for Jesus Christ. But for all of them, it looks like being told, well done, good and faithful servant, on the day of judgment. And that's what I want to hear. Now, if you didn't raise your hand for a blessing, again, I'm not going not gonna to judge you. Just sit back down. Enjoy yourself, settle in for some good hearing. I will do my best to make it as pleasant as possible. But if you raise your hand for a blessing, well, you can still sit and listen for a little while. That's probably the best. I don't need you to run out right now. But we've got to head out as we leave here and actually, actually get to work this week and do some doing, to be some, some blessed doers of the word. And so the question is, how can we do that? How do we become those work doers that James talks about? Well, before we can do the word, obviously, we need to hear it. Because you can't do something when you don't know what you're supposed to do. And for us to hear the word, we have to be able to listen to it. Because if you can't or you won't listen, you can't hear. So we will look at each of these three aspects in more depth. Being able to hear, hearing, and doing. And James starts out with the first element, being able to hear, in verses 19 through 21. So let's take a closer look. Starts off in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Now, this is an imperative in the original language. He's telling us, wake up! I got important stuff to tell you. Pay attention. 
Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We lose a little bit of the force of this in the English language. We don't really have a, a way to communicate this as an imperative. But most of the time in the New Testament, when you see the phrase, let us, let them, let him, don't let them, that is actually a command. In the English, it sounds like a nice suggestion or a bit of helpful advice. In the Greek, it is an order. It is a command. So he's not giving us some cheery, cheery advice. He's telling us what we ought to do. And a likely reading of the, of the way these words flow is he's saying that we need to be quick to begin hearing, slow to begin speaking, and slow to anger. And we Christians, I think, love to walk around like a bunch of verbal gunslingers, right, ready, ready for a shootout. At least I, I, I like that way. Uh, my family likes that. A lot of others I know. You know. We're always looking for something to talk about, particularly if there's other Christians involved. Good opportunity to, to shoot at them. But instead, James is saying, we have to be prepared to listen on short notice. Listen when we're not necessarily in the mood to listen. Listen when we're not necessarily prepared to listen. But we've got to be ready to start listening quickly. Now, our first response can't be to just quickly spit out our point of view, get that out on the floor, and now I'm ready to listen. And again, that's a temptation I have. Like, let me just get... Get the, let me get the facts out on the floor, and then you can say your wrong stuff, and then I'm going to listen to your wrong stuff. But that's not what James is telling us to do, right? It says it doesn't matter if we think we know the answer. In fact, I, I would argue it's more important if we do know the answer, that we listen, we understand where the person is coming from, and only slowly begin to speak. And because that's, that's what lets us really hear other people. That's what lets us demonstrate love and respect to them as a creation of God, it's what diffuses the tension and gets to a point where they're more likely to listen to us. And it's the way that other Christians can successfully speak into our lives when even though we're confident, we're also wrong. It keeps us from sliding into an immediate point, counterpoint mood in our dialogue. And so I think he's making an important point here on how we prepare ourselves to even be able to hear the word. Because how can we hear the word if we are so quick with our defenses that when someone's speaking the word into our life, we can't. We're shooting them down before they can even get started. Going on. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore. Okay, so now he's giving us the explanation why we should be slow to get angry. It's because human anger does not produce God-like righteousness. And therefore, it's going to introduce a sharp contrast, a real, a real gear change. He's saying that anger stuff is bad. It is useless for producing that righteousness stuff. So you need to do something different. And he's about to tell us what that is. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So this is the something different, the thing we're supposed to give up our anger for, the thing that if our anger is there, we can't do. The word receive is yet another imperative. This is actually the third imperative so far in this little short little block of text. Uh, we are commanded to receive the word that's able to save our souls. And if you have not already received that word, well, the stakes couldn't be higher for you. If you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that acceptance, that reception, is the thing that's going to determine your fate for all eternity. So that has to be the starting point. And the fact that it's an imperative implies there is a choice, and we can reject the word. And many of us know people who, to this point, have. 
But receiving the gospel in meekness or humility requires that we first cast off our anger and our filthiness and our rampant, out-of-control, overflowing wickedness. So for those of us who are believers, these sin issues can still crowd back into our lives and prevent the word from having much practical effect. Now, we don't have time to explore Jesus' parable of the four soils in Matthew chapter 13, but if you want a little homework, take a look at that, because that's what James's words really bring to mind here uh, as he talks about casting off these things and, and that that's how we're able to receive the implanted word. Um, in order to, so, so to really hear it, to really effectively hear it and accept the word, we have to get rid of these things. Anger and filthiness and wickedness, arrogance, combativeness, they all have to go if we're going to receive. And since James specifically uses this imagery of a seed being planted in us, I, I think it's safe to, say, to sort of compare these things to the weeds or, or pollutants that may be in your ground soil that keep the, the word from sprouting and reaching real maturity in your life. Now, we know this process is, is complicated to get rid of these things. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. Um, because as the Bible makes it clear, it's the presence of the word working in us through the Spirit that lets us cast them off. And so you get this sort of cycle, right? You have, to, you have to cast off some in order to hear the word and accept it. But then by accepting the word, we're better able to cast off more. And then we're better able to receive and let the word act in our life. And then, again, that's the, that's the good cycle. That's what's supposed to be happening in our life. So first, we have to cast off the sin that's preventing us from hearing the word. And we have to actively choose to receive the word. If we don't receive the word, the rest of this passage, the rest of what James had to say is utterly irrelevant because there can be no doing without hearing. And there can be no hearing if we're not actually prepared to listen and hear by asking for God's help in rooting out the sin that blocks our hearing. But it's not enough to just be prepared and willing to hear the word, is it? I mean, we could sit at home and be like, I am prepared. I'm waiting for the word. Speak out loud to me. Sometimes that does happen but that's not the normal case. If we're going to be doers of the word, we actually have to hear the word, right? So how do we do that? We have so many options in this day and age compared to what believers in centuries past have that it's almost embarrassing. And for us to not take advantage of them is almost shameful. Let me just provide a short list, and you can add tons of other things. The short list. We should gather together every week and hear... Pastor Frank and others preach the word. That is a literal hearing of the word, and it represents a biblical minimum standard. We need to be reading and studying the word on our own so we know what it says. Tony will be all over that, right? You're in favor of this. It could be a grand survey of the Bible where you read the entire Bible in a year. That is an excellent way to familiarize yourself with the word. It could be more narrowly focused, one chapter each day in the morning or the evening. Did you know there's only 260 chapters in the New Testament? You could go that route and be pretty knowledgeable about the New Testament in less than nine months. Or it could be a, a really in-depth, verse-by-verse, a couple of verses in a day as you work your way through a complicated letter like Hebrews or Romans. It could be guided by devotionals and plans. It could be something you come up with on your own. But you have to do it because it is the word that really changes our life. If you want to have change in your life, get involved with the Word on a personal basis if you're not already. We should be getting together with other believers to encourage one another and apply the Word in our life. Back in Sunday schools, life groups. And we have an unprecedented level of access to the best preaching in the world. And I don't just mean Frank. 
So many of the great preachers of our age are available on podcasts, on YouTube, on all the different resources out there. If you want a great way to redeem a long commute, it's a great way to redeem a long commute. So whatever else we do, we have to be doing these things. We have to listen to the word. So if you're not regularly hearing the word, then you're not really doing the word, no matter how good your intentions might be, because you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing. You can say, I've read the word before. I know what it says. And at one level, that is true. But the word is one of the primary ways that God speaks into our life. And that's why we need to be in the word regularly, even if we have a lot of knowledge of the Bible. So that would be, if we're, if we're not, if we refuse to get into the word on a regular basis, that's like God let, trying to send us texts and we, we just ignore them, have them blocked. It's like he's trying to send us email, but they get forwarded to the spam. It's like he's trying to write us love letters and we mark them return to sender. And so now we've addressed the first two requirements for being a doer of the word. We have to clean up the sinful attitudes and behaviors that prevent us from hearing, and we have to actually hear the word. But we have to do more than that, right? That's the essence of the passage. This is the bottom line of the passage. We have to go beyond that. We have to actually do what the word says. And that's what we're going to pick up again with James. Starting at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So this is the fourth imperative grammatically in here, the fourth instruction from James, the fourth command into our lives. Be doers of the word. And what does he say about us when we just hear the word but don't do it? What does he say? We're deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. We, we may think we have a great relationship with God. We may think we have this Christian thing down, but it's a lie because we're not actually doing what he tells us to do. Going back to our opening example, Frank, how good do you think your relationship would be with Terry if you never did what she asked, if you always ignored her requests? We, not very good. Not very good. Yeah. I won't comment. I won't ask whether that does reflect reality or not. Terry's right there, but I'm not going to put him on the spot there. And if you think about it, <laughs> this is kind of a scary idea, right, that we could be walking around deceiving ourselves. And if we do, it could be hard for us to figure out because humans are great at self-deception. So you've got to ask yourselves, what have we done lately for the word? What have we done for the word this week? What are we planning to do for the word next week? If that's a question that is very hard for us to answer, then that probably means we're in the neighborhood of deceiving ourselves about whether we are really doing the word or not. And again... It's scary, but it's out there. We have that capacity to lie to ourselves for a long period of time. Resuming with James. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So here James paints this great word picture of what it's like to be a word hearer rather than an active doer of work. He shows us a man stooping down to really stare into the mirror at his face, to really get a sense of what he looks like, to, to look at every detail, every freckle, every spot, every detail. I mean, he is putting effort in it. That is the implication of the language here. He is gazing into it for a long period of time. And then he goes away. And the language carries an implication that there's some finality about it, that he's, he's done with this looking in the mirror thing. 
So he goes away, and he immediately forgets what he saw. And we think, what a waste of time. How pathetic. What kind of idiot spends 20 minutes staring at himself in the mirror and forgets it within a few seconds? But think about it. Do you remember what Pastor Frank's sermon was about last week? Good job. (laughs) Bonus points for Fred. If you read the Bible already this morning or yesterday, do you remember what the passage was about, really? I will confess I have some problems with that. I mean, I can read the, the Word every morning before breakfast, and by the time I'm done with breakfast, it can be starting to fade out of my life already. And effectively, I am that guy in the mirror. We are all naturally like that guy staring in the mirror. That is our natural state, because James is making it clear. It's only by doing the word that we really learn and retain it. And otherwise, it's just a sort of flash in our life that has no impact. We could sit in Bible study all day long, and if we don't start acting on it in response, it's going to immediately start to fade. And it would have had no effect in our life whatsoever. So if you want the word to change you, and perfect you, and to make you like Jesus Christ, and you need to do what Christ did, and that's obey the word. Christ is the perfect model of a word doer. He was obedient to the word all the way through suffering and death on a cross. He did it for us. He did it to restore God's creation, but he was the perfect doer. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. And that brings us back to where we started our discussion. The contrast between a forgetful hearer and a work doer. Because remember, those are, that's really what the words say here. Forgetful hearer, work doer. It requires that we persistently look into the word. That we are constantly ready to hear, meaning we've, we've got the sin issues out of our way. And we actually are hearing the word every day, every week here in church, and at home in our life, in Bible study, and wherever we go. And then we have to stop deceiving ourselves. We have to stop forgetting what we hear. We have to start doing what we hear, and then we'll be blessed in the doing. So what does it look like to be a doer of the word? Well, as I said, we have a perfect model in Jesus Christ, who always did the word and was faithful unto death. And we have many excellent models in the apostles and the fathers of the church. <clears throat> a number of times, Paul says in his letters, imitate me. So that is excellent advice. Ultimately, it means that we need to respond the same way as we respond to a letter from our spouse. We need to respond to a letter from God. We have to be quick to respond. We should be excited at the opportunity to be a part of his plan and respond. And we can't just intellectually read the letter with appreciation for its, its history and its tradition, its, its beautiful words or its powerful stories. We have to immediately start doing what it says. We don't need perfect knowledge. We don't need perfect clarity. We don't need perfect understanding. We don't need an, an invitation from Frank. We just need to do it. If it says, praise the Lord, praise him. If it says, love your brother, Love him. If it says, care for a brother in need, care for him. 
So I put on the slide some of the, some of the different things that the Bible says. And, and the list can go on and on about what it means to be a doer of the word, right? The different ways you can. I mean, we could, each of those could be a sermon in and of itself. And it's a lot. But what matters is not so much the specific things we're doing, but instead that we are obedient to the word and we're doing it in a way that has the proper attitude. An attitude of excitement, an attitude of, of love for God, and an attitude of excitement of being part of his kingdom and being able to do these things. And the good news is, Jesus helpfully reduced the list to two things for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to explore more next week this concept of, of what we need to be doing. But for today, we need to ask ourselves, are we loving the Lord and loving our neighbor? Because Jesus isn't talking about an intellectual love like we might have for a style of art or a favorite TV show. He's talking about an active and practical love for God and for others. That's where the promise of blessing lies. Not in feeling encouraged on a Sunday morning or accumulating an impressive collection of Bible knowledge. It's in that active, practical love. So as we leave here today, I'd encourage you to spend some time in prayer asking God to show you whether you're really a work doer or if you're just a forgetful hearer who's deceiving yourself.